Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Zaran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. And so we're currently reading Confident Ruby by Avdi Grimm. Today we're going to discuss sections 4.10, 4.11, and 4.12, which cover wrapping collaborators in adapters, using transparent adapters to gradually introduce abstraction, and rejecting unworkable values with preconditions. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club and check out rubybookclub.com to follow along. So 4.10, what did you think about this section, Nadia? I liked this section. Um, it was a very practical, well-known problem that I've come across before. And so it was good working through how you'd approach that. What about you? Yeah, I had the, the same kind of reaction. You know, I've, I've heard of adapters in passing, never really, I don't think I've ever implemented one. And so it was just nice to have someone really focus in on that one tool set and to be able to say, you know, this is how you do it. This is the situation in which you do it. And to be able to just spend some time on that one thing. You know, I think that when we code a lot of times and we're reading other people's code, a lot of times we come across these tools and we don't really get to kind of pause and dig deeper and explore it. And this was a great opportunity to do that for something that I'd heard of but had never really dug into. Cool. So shall we go over the example? Yes, let's do that. So section 4.10 is called wrap collaborators in adapters. And so in this situation, a lot of times when we have a method, we might need it to work with different collaborators and take in different, different types of stuff. And a lot of times we have the issue of not having a single common interface. And so in this section, Avdi talks through how we might be able to use an adapter to create a single consistent interface for our method to be able to handle different types better. Exactly. And so in this example, we're looking at a logging method and we want it to log to four different types of things. An in-memory array, a file, a TCP or UDP socket and an IRC bot. And he refers to something called the Kinch framework, which I'd never heard of before. Had you? Yeah. No, I hadn't heard of it before. And I was like, did he make this up? And then I, I looked it up and it's a, it's a real thing. <laughs> so that was cool. And in that, when he talks about the, the different things that you mentioned, the array, the file, the UDP socket, the IRC bot, all that, it he refers to it as a variety of log syncs, which to me was a new word. I, I didn't know what that was before. And apparently it's a common term related to logging. Yeah. So with some of the work I did at Cloud Foundry, there was a lot of logging involved. So I'm familiar with the term. And it's simply just a place where all of your log messages go, like an output mm. for your log messages. Which makes sense with the word sync. Exactly. Yeah, it works well. And I also did a little bit of research again on TCP and UDP. One of those things that I'm always hearing about, but have to refresh my knowledge on. Wait, are we going to get a Nadia sidebar? I think we might get a Nadia interlude. Yes. Okay, so TCP and UDP, they are internet protocols. So basically a way that information is transferred. TCP stands for Transmission Control Protocol. And UDP stands for User Datagram Protocol. So with TCP, you get a reliable stream of information um, between applications. It's used by things such as email. And if you, reliability is not required, then you can use UDP. So it's less reliable. So information may be lost, but there's reduced 
latency, essentially information can be transmitted more quickly. So if you're having to choose what type of protocol you want to use, you're basically deciding between reliability or speed. There you go. Very cool. Very nice. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's also one of the things that I'd heard about and knew it had to do with the internet, but I didn't really know too much about it. So I'm really glad that now I know a little bit more. Awesome. So the next thing that we talk about is a class called Benchmarked Logger. And that's really the class where we're going to start seeing these different types and kind of figure out what it is that we need to do. And so in that class, Benchmarked Logger, there's a method called info. And info takes an argument called message. And in there is where we see our sync. And we have this sync and it has a shovel shovel. And is that regex? It looks like regex to me. Mm, yeah. Uh, no, it's a format string. Oh, very nice. So it's it substitutes in the duration and the message into the percent 1.3f and the percent s. Yeah, it gets that nice uh, formatted log message that we're probably used to seeing when we use different logging tools. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's it's got the shovel method. Mm-hmm. And it's that shovel method that we're really going to focus on because it's that shovel method, uh, which is called the appending operator. Did you know it's called the appending operator? No, I just thought it was called the shovel method. I, yeah, I've, I've always heard of it as just the shovel. Uh, but apparently it's the appending operator, which sounds so much more proper. Um, and it is that operator that is the common interface between a lot of these syncs. Right, so it works with files, standard output, standard error, network sockets, and it works with everything apart from our IRC bot. Uh-oh, that's going to be some trouble, isn't it? Yeah, and so what we need to do is think about how we're going to input that into our code. Yeah, and before we can talk about our code, there's a little section there that when I first saw it, it kind of threw me off because I said, wait, where is it coming from? Where do I put it? And it's really talking about, is it the kinch? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay, kinch. So there's this thing called kinch. I guess it's a library or gem called kinch. And that's what we're using to make a little kinch bot. And there we have this thing called an event, and that event is named log info. And so when we talk about our logger and really using this bot and putting it into the, the class that we talked about earlier that's actually going to be doing the logging, we're doing that by creating this new event called log info. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. Okay. And so at this point, it says, okay, in order for us to do this, we're going to do bot.handlers.dispatch, and we're going to pass in that event, log info, and that's the thing that we're really going to focus on to find, um, to find that common denominator. And so when we go back to the class, the benchmarked logger class, we have that really nice method that just says, you know, the shovel, um, and it's that the, yeah, that's how it works for all the other ones. But because the bot method doesn't respond to the shovel, we have to do that unique method we just talked about, which is calling the bot and saying dot handlers dot dispatch in log info. And as you can imagine, that means we're introducing a case statement, which is not very ideal. No. And it goes back to um, this theme that's been running through the book of what is confident code and what isn't confident code. In this case, we're having to check what type of thing we've got because we're not sure and then behave differently depending on that. And as Avdi says in the book, it's a distracting digression about differing interfaces into the story this method tells. 
Mm. Oh, I love that so much. I love that we keep going back to stories when we talk about code. Yeah. And so to solve for that, he says, well, why don't we adapt that bot object, that bot object that does not originally respond to the shovel? Why don't we adopt it so that it does now respond to the shovel? So how do we do that? So Avdi creates a new class called an IRC bot sync, and that's initialized with a bot. And then there's another method called what's well, a shovel method which takes a message just like the case in the benchmark logger and that wraps around the specific way of logging info on the kinch bot so we've got def shovel and that says at bot dot handlers dot dispatch and then log info so what we've done is we've taken the unique way that the kinch bot um, logs a message and wrapped it in an interface that matches all the other types of syncs. So you use the word wrap, and I think that when I initially saw this, I thought, okay, so it's just a wrapper. What in your mind is the difference between an adapter and a wrapper? So in my mind, the adapter object is the ILC bot sync. So that's the thing that's we can define behavior on an adapter object and typically that's done by wrapping. So the method of actually taking the unique kinch bot behavior, wrapping that in a standard interface is what creates an adapter object. I mean, that's my understanding of it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of it too. I think the method itself is the wrapper. Like the wrapper is almost like the, the units, the little little pieces of work. And the adapter is the thing that kind of holds it all together. Yes, I think that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in this case, you can have our one adapter, which is the IRC bot sync. And then you could have many wrappers that are the individual methods used in that class. Yeah, I think so. So that's one major new addition to the benchmark logger class is adding a new class in it. And another addition also that I noticed when kind of skimming through it a second time is that we now have an initialized method. And the first time we did this, we, we may have had one, but we definitely didn't focus on it. Uh, but this time we, we have one. And that case statement that we had where we said, you know, if sync do this, if it's a kinch bot do this other thing, we've now moved that type of logic into our definitionalize. Yeah, so we had the initialize before, but it was very straightforward. All it did was assign the sync instance variable. But this time, as you say, we've moved that check now into the initialize method. So upfront, we're classing the type of sync we have. And then that means that the info method is cleaner now because all of the all of the syncs that we need have a common interface, which is the shovel. And so that's looking very straightforward now with just calling the shovel method on any type of info message. Yeah. And the first time when I saw that change, when I saw that case statement move from our info message up to the initialize method, I, I initially said to myself, well, you just move the logic up. You know, you just move the same thing up to a different place. But the big difference now is it says that when the thing passed in is a kinch bot, make a new instance of our IRC bot sync so that we can leverage that new wrapper, that new shovel wrapper that we made. And that's the thing that really makes a difference from just, you know, looking at looking at types and adjusting uh, the, the results. Here, we're looking at a type and making a new object to use instead of that original object. And that's what makes it confident code as opposed to the other type checking. Yeah, that unconfident code, that meek, shy code. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll call it that, meek shy code. So that wraps up that section. And you know, the, the general conclusion of it is that by using this simple adapter object, we've taken out this uncertainty around the sorts of collaborators that's gonna, that's gonna um, come into our code. And so we can more confidently craft our info messages, our, our info method, um, because we know that any type of sync is going to implement that shovel method that we need. Yeah, I like it. And the other thing I want to point out is every time I code, I try to ask myself, whose job is it to know what? And even if we did argue that most of what we did was move a case statement from info to initialize, it is more of the initializer's job to kind of figure out what it's dealing with and give it the right thing than it is the the info methods job, right? The info methods job should just be call, calling the shovel method and and you know, printing out the right log info that it needs. And so just in terms of, you know, um, responsibility and separation of concerns, it, it, it is not the issue. It is not the job of the info method to kind of figure that part out. So in that sense, it felt a lot cleaner, just a lot more organized. Yeah, it's more upfront what you need before you start getting into the, the depths of the class. You sort of sort out upfront what, what you need the state of the world to be before you then proceed with other behavior. Right. And also when you do that, you do it in one place, right? If we didn't have it in our initialize, we might have to do that type of checking in future methods that we write. And this way we get to do it upfront, deal with it once, and hopefully never think about it again. Until we get to 4.11, where we talk about using transparent adapters to gradually introduce abstractions. Right. So in 4.11, Avdi sets the scene of a class that already has many pre-existing dependencies. And so the state of the world is not as nice as it was in 4.10. This time, we're not writing our benchmark logger class from scratch. It's already there and it's got the case statement like before but it's also calling many other kinchbot specific methods so if we were to apply the solution from 4.10 it's going to break everything yeah exactly and so this ideal world is kind of gone and now we got to deal with some some real world stuff and here there is a, a very interesting idea that for me, it was very comfortable because it was very familiar, but combining that idea with this idea of adapter, that's what made it new. And so that's the idea behind a transparent adapter object. So in that case, we have our same adapter object, the thing that kind of wraps around other stuff to create that single, united, one-stop interface, but the transparent part is new. So what is the transparent part talking about? So we're back to our benchmark logger, which also has a class within it of the IRC bot sync. But this time it inherits from the kinchbot class and we use something called the delegate class method. So this means that now our IRC bot is a delegate class of the kinchbot, which means that any method called on the IRC bot sync is passed through to the kinchbot object. So you define class IRC bot sync, which inherits from delegate class method of the kinchbot. And the IRC bot sync now has access to all of the kinchbot methods, but you now have an interface or a, a, a border to start adding methods to the kinchbot interface. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just so smart because before I saw that, I was like, oh man, what are we going to, are we going to have to overwrite all these? No, that can't be, that can't be the solution. And then I saw the delegate class. I was like, oh yeah, we can just delegate it, you know, to someone who knows what they're doing in this situation. Yeah. And I've used like delegate methods before, but I've never seen the delegate class method before. Have you? No, I haven't. And that was very exciting. It was another tool for my tool belt. (laughs) I love this book. It's equipping us well. (laughs) So how do we solve the problem in this case, Saron? So, I mean, as you said, you know, we have our class IRC bot sync, which inherits from delegate class Kinchbot. Uh, luckily, we don't have to change the definitionalized method because it still says when Kinchbot, then make an IRC bot sync dot new. And that's great because we have our, you know, we've always had our IRC bot sync. And the difference here is that we still have that case statement because remember the premise of this section is, well, what if you can't? change absolutely everything and make, you know, and kind of, if you're inheriting something that already has a bunch of these um, dependencies and the code isn't quite as clean as you want. And so here we do have the case statement that uses our .handlers.dispatch and doesn't use our shovel method. But what we do is we still change it to say IRC bot sync instead of using the kinch bot. So what's the advantage here? It doesn't seem like we did a lot, but we actually did something pretty important. What was that thing? What we've done here is we're opening the doors to start repla- to start building up this transparent adapter object that will help us move towards unifying the interfaces. So on the IRC bot sync, we have defined a shovel method, but like you say, because this code is so coupled, it's not so easy that we can just replace it. But by starting to introduce the IRC bot sync class instead of the kinchbot class, we can begin to move there. And what I like about this chapter or this section is that Avdi's trying to say, you know, it's not always going to be the, the the chance that we can do this big bang refactoring that's going to solve everything. And this is a more sort of realistic, small first step that you're probably going to take when you approach legacy code. And it might not seem like much, but it's still a very useful step. So maybe the step after this might be replacing that case statement, but we don't have to do that quite yet to see the value from it. Right. And I think Avdi has sort of sneakily suggested earlier in the chapter that there might not be any tests and so he's you know he's probably trying to say you're probably going to need to look at what else might break and all that sort of stuff but this is a first safe step that you can take Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very nice so shall we move on to section 4.12 let's do it so this one is called reject unworkable values with preconditions so i loved this section I yes, loved me it. Too. <laughs> I loved it so much because it was so blunt. And um, Avdi, I like to think that Avdi was being a little sassy yes. in this section, which made me very happy. Uh, feisty gonna, Avdi. Feisty Avdi came out. And you, I don't know if you all know um, Avdi from Twitter and just, you know, in real life. He's such a gentle soul and he's, you know, all for the people and really kind. And just to kind of see the, the different side of Avdi was, was pretty awesome yeah i mean avdi does have his rants but this was brilliant in the book so for example when he's introducing the case that we're going to be looking at he says here's some code that's experiencing several symptoms of paranoid insecurity (laughs) and then later on he refers to you know engineers that have fallen asleep on the job (laughs) and uh yeah there's just other little bits of little snarky comments i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it yeah, it was lots of fun. I was like, oh my God, Avdi's talking smack. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's dig into some of the code stuff. 
Yeah, let's do it. So in this section, we're looking at cases where we've got input values to our method, but we can't convert them or adapt them into a usable form. So therefore, we just want to reject them as early as possible. Yeah. And so in this example, we're talking about a class called employee, and we have an adder accessor called higher date. And the way this code reads, and it's funny because I didn't even notice it until reading the the, the commentary or the, the text underneath it where it says, it looks like over the course of development, three different developers discovered that higher date might sometimes be nil. And so if you look back at the code, and it, it seems like there are three different ways that different developers tried to adjust for the fact that they were having some problem with that input. So what are some of those ways? So we've got three different things that happen. In one of the methods, which checks whether an employee is due for a type in, you raise an exception if the higher date is missing. In another method, where you check whether the employee is covered for a pension plan or not, it just defaults to 2000 if there's no higher date the year 2000 <laughs> and with a comment that says someone in hr should probably check out this logic exactly brilliant <laughs> and then the last example is they've got this thing that prints out a short bio for the employee and if you've got a higher date it just says oh you've been employed by the company since this year but if you don't have a higher date it just says oh so and so is a proud employee okay so of those three which one do you like the best i have to i laughed out loud at the year 2000 thing because it was yeah, just so random so <laughs> It was I feel like I would be guilty of doing the bio one where it says if hire date so and so has been an employee since blah blah blah. Otherwise, they're a proud employee. I feel like I've probably done something like that before. What I love again about this chapter is it's very real world sort of, you know, you you you're gonna see this stuff, you might have seen this stuff. I mean, in the recent code base I've been working on, I saw something very similar to the year two thousand default thing. So, you know, that's probably why I found it extra funny but it's great because we're really getting into stuff that you're very likely going to see when you start a job when you join a new code base and so it's wonderful looking at step by step how you're going to tackle this and there's a bit in in the text here which i which i've highlighted and i'll just read which he says this class has some serious problems with second guessing itself and the root of all of this insecurity is the fact that the higher date attribute cannot be relied upon even though it's clearly pretty important to the operation of the class. Yeah, and this is, it's funny, I highlighted that exact same paragraph as well and I love that so much because I think that if, if I were to look at this, and I've definitely dealt with situations where I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate how important a particular attribute was until I find myself working around it so often, right? Until I find myself just coming up against it over and over again and thinking, oh man, I got to figure out another way to deal with this thing. And so I'm wondering in the, in the life cycle of working within that class and dealing with those methods and those attributes, at what point do you or should you realize that, wait a minute, this thing is actually pretty important. Let me take some time out to actually address the problem instead of putting yet another band-aid on it. I think it's this idea that if something is seeming harder than it should be. So if you think about this idea of a bio method, for example, everyone should be able to have a standard bio method. It's a bit weird that you're switching on higher date when part of a bio of an employee or an integral part of that is when they started working at the company and everyone has a start year like everyone does it's just 
you can't have I'm trying to imagine some weird world where you could not have a set year and then the other thing is the pension plan like that is like a sort of logical or a mathematical thing of are you eligible for a pension plan or not and so these developers working on this code there must have been a point where they went ah god that's really annoying oh i need to come up with a workaround and it's when you're feeling that pain that you're starting to realize hey this higher date thing hasn't quite got the prominence or the status it has because i am having to work around it in in weird and different ways each time yeah i think i think you bring up something very important specifically with the the bio part right because the bio part is I mean, that's how one of your employees is being represented to the world. And the fact that it's this issue with your code base or, the, you know, or not dealing with the uh, possible nil value, that that's the reason why the public representation of your employer is now different and different in a, in a worse way. That's kind of a, an issue, right? Just, just the, the consequences of that are, are pretty are relatively big. And so I think that's one way. The other way is just that, you know, if you if you keep running into something three times, mm-hmm. might be a good a good sign to to take some time and address it. Right. So Avdi introduces us to this concept of invariance. And what are those? Those are a set of properties which should always hold true for that object. And that's something that I mean, if we talk about something, you know, like an invariable that kind of makes sense right like it's mm-hmm. not a variable it's not changing but i never heard of it in terms of an object or just in the context of code have you no i haven't heard it explicitly referred to as an object's invariant but you know so avdi says in this case the the statement of employee hire date is a date should be an invariant to the employee object mm-hmm yeah, and, and I love this because when when we're talking about invariance and talking about how do you deal with it and how do you navigate um, a nil value or prevent a nil value, those are all, for me, different versions of validations, which in my experience has been mostly with Rails because Ruby developer, I mostly use Rails. And what I love about this is it creates a clear separation between Ruby and Rails, right? And here we're talking about the invariant that's about the object independent of whatever framework you're using Ruby. So it was a, a nice little reminder that a lot of the, the tools that Rails gives us automatically still apply just in Ruby. They're just kind of called maybe slightly different things and are done in a little bit of a different way uh, that is more kind of true to the language and isn't masked under magic. Yeah, and and this goes back to some of that domain-driven design stuff I've been talking about, which is, again, you can't have an employee without a hire date. Therefore, we're not going to, we want to make our code not be able to create an employee with a nil hire date. Like that concept does not make sense. And so Avdi says we've got to maintain the integrity of this class by setting up a precondition. This idea that you need to have this one check in place, otherwise eh, we're going to abort. Um, and so what Avdi does in this case is we change the initialized method. So before we just assign the instance variable name to the name of the employee, and then we would assign the instance variable higher date to the higher date passed in. But this time we change that second assignment of an instance variable, and instead the second line of the initialized method says self.higherdate equals higher date. And then we define the higher date equals method later on. And what that does is it first checks that 
the new hire date is indeed of type date. And if not, it raises a type error, which says invalid hire date. Otherwise, it does the instance variable assignment, which was there in the old initialize method of at hire date equals new hire date. And so now when we're creating the object, if you haven't passed in a hire date, that's a date, it's going to blow up and you're not going to get an employee object because that's impossible. <laughs> and I like that because as you said, that makes sense. You shouldn't have you know, an employer without that hired, especially when, when working through the code, we see very clearly that it's a pretty important thing. It's a pretty important piece of information that you need to build other methods and do what you need to get done. So it makes sense that you would just raise an exception if you don't have what you need. And so Saron, how does this affect the rest of the code? Oh man, so this probably affects a lot of stuff because now you kind of have to go back, right? If you're the developers and update your database and add back higher dates because everything else is going to blow up, right? All those methods, those workarounds that you had are going to be broken because you can't do a bio and, and all that without having it. Right, that's, yeah, exactly. That's one thing. But also now the rest of the methods in that class look so much cleaner. Oh, so yes. So much more straightforward. Yes. Yes, moving forward, it's going to be really good, but you're going to have to go back and do some cleanup to get to that point where it's nice and tidy. But at least from then on, it's going to be so much easier dealing with this mm -hmm. employee class. Mm -hmm, definitely. So the other thing that it talks about is, it talks about this idea about preconditions and about whose responsibility it is to know or to do what. And so I'm just going to read this straight from the book. It says that, uh, note that preconditions, as originally described by Bertrand Meyer in object-oriented software construction, are supposed to be the caller's responsibility. That is, the caller should never call a method with values which violate that method's preconditions. And so I had to read that kind of a couple times to wrap my head around what exactly it meant. And in the case of bio, right, I think that's my favorite example. In the case of bio, that method is calling on or needs that higher date, but it doesn't have it. And so that method is, you know, in violation because it's, it's having to deal with something when it really should just be able to trust that it has whatever it needs and it doesn't have to worry about it. And so it's really the... I guess in this case, it's the employer object, is that right? Or the employee, right? It's the employer key's job to know that it has a good hire date and all the methods working for it should be able to trust in that employee object. Right, yes. And what Avdi says that is in Ruby, we don't have any built-in support for this sort of thing like other languages do. So he refers to a language called Eiffel, which I'd never heard of before. And that ensures that a caller never calls a method with invalid uh, values. And so that's why the, 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 the refactoring that we've done in the initialized method is our version of that. Mm -hmm. And I like our version. Our version's pretty cool. It is indeed. And then he speaks about this idea of documentation. So he says that, okay, preconditions actually do two things. First, they guard the method from invalid inputs. But because you know, as you come in and you read this employee class, up front you see, ah, this hire date is a big deal. And so we know up front the kind of inputs that this that this method is expecting. And so essentially the 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 prominence of certain parts of our code serves as documentation to people reading that code as to what are the things that we really care about here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that's always really nice when you get documentation for free that you don't have to kind of write in addition to. That's always very nice. Exactly. And so what's the general conclusion of this chapter? So the general conclusion of this chapter is that at the end of the day, we need to have certain rules, right? There are kind of lines we can't cross. And in this situation, you know, up to this point, we've really done our best to accommodate different inputs and use adapters and use different methods and you know try all these different tools to be as forgiving as possible but there's a line right there's a line to exactly how forgiving we can be and this is a situation where Avdi says some inputs are simply unacceptable which is another little snarky ending at the end I like to think and when that happens that's okay but we need to understand it we need to define those moments and be very clear with that up front in our code yeah awesome So shall we wrap up? I think we should. So as Avdi said himself, the logging examples were a bit contrived, right? That whole IRC bot and all those things. So we want to know what is an example where you might need to use an adapter? You can record your 30 second response and send it to us at hello at rubybookclub.com and you might hear yourself on the show. And don't forget to tweet us at rubybookclub and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. See ya. 